You're listening to Auto D coming at you live. Which way, what, when, how? Mr. Auto D flip the track right now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in on this lovely Monday evening here in Scottsdale, Arizona. I am your host, Otto Daniolo, broadcasting live from Dave Pratt's Star Worldwide Studios, high up in, above Camelback Road. My guest on the Auto D Show this evening is Arizona-based Angular Soundscaper, to lift the line from the band's bio, and lead singer of the band House of Stairs, Holly Pyle, is here today. And Holly will be with us right after this track from Fervor Records recording artist, Courtney Cotter King. The song is called Doughboys. Check it out. Out of my suitcase too long Continuous he's another bed I can't wait to get on and get off When we meet up we'll go dancing all night long We're sweet when the dope boys are We're sweet when the big band goes Listening to 
Auto Dave, coming at you live. And that was Doughboys from Fervor Records recording artist Courtney Cotter King here on the Auto D Show, which is brought to you by Fervor Records and Fauna Films. You can find Fervor at F-E-R-V-O-R-Records.com, and you can find Fauna Films at F-A-N-N-A Films.com. And as always, thank you so much for listening. So let's get to it. Um, I'm excited to introduce you to an incredibly talented vocalist and singer-songwriter, Holly Pyle, who fronts her own band called House of Stairs, which started as a jazz pop trio in 2014 and quickly infused influences of many of their favorite artists, ultimately developing their very own unique and incredibly interesting sound, which we'll hear a bit of in a few minutes. Welcome to the show, Holly. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. I'm doing fantastic, and it's always a pleasure to have a, a talented singer like yourself come in. And... We even have to make you sing on the show. You never know. Shucks. <laughs> Shucks. You've got a brand new record coming out. Congratulations. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about it. Um, so we started working on it a year and a half ago. Um, and I guess leading up to it, we have an engineer, Ryan Hall, who was actually the engineer for our EP release three years ago. And we liked what he did. We tested him out on a, a video and just re- we had to have him on this record. So he... Um, has a studio in his backyard shed. And we spent um, almost a year doing all the tracking. Wow. Um, And the mixing took over all summer. And uh, Bob Hogue and a guy from from Fort Collins, Jason Livermore, did the mastering. So he just got finished uh, like mid-August, really. Awesome. So we're, we're... so stoked. But yeah, there's um, there's 14 tracks, a couple of interludes in, involved in that. And, um, and yeah, it's a... It's a hodgepodge of a lot of, of emotions and, and trying to find connection from very scattered-brained places. Mm-hmm. How would you say it differs from the uh, EP you mentioned you released previously? Well, the, the EP, we were a band for... We were barely a band. A band for minutes? Yeah, for minutes. <laughs> we are like, okay, let's get some music out there. We had just started writing, and we, we still felt this uh, very big attachment to jazz where we're like, okay, let's have a jazz feature on the EP, and um, just sort of like a small handful of what we've just barely gotten on the press, so to speak. And um, we've had way more time in the past three years to really develop what our sound is and... Um, and basically some of the original ones was either one of them was collaborative, one I wrote, or a couple I wrote. And this is so much more collaborative consistently mm-hmm. throughout. So it really represents more of a trifecta of our sound as compared to just me completely just having these loops that I'm bringing over. Okay, now let me ask you this. Was the, the EP, which was called Step One mm-hmm. in 2015, was that um, your first experience recording? No, actually, um, my my first experience was I I did a hip hop band here in town called The Stakes, okay, and we made an EP before that, um, so that was my first recorded uh, tangible CD okay. experience. Now, when you guys put together this band, uh, and it started as a trio, yeah, and what is it now? How many members of the group now? I'd say eighty percent of the time, at least, it's a trio, and then Shay is our phantom fourth member. So okay. he kind of will sprinkle in randomly. Well, that's what happens when your fourth member is the busiest man in town. He's yeah. Sprinkle in is about all you can get. He's very sneaky. I think most of his acts would describe him as he sprinkles in. He gets he, to be around once yeah. in a while. Yeah. Okay. So it's original, same original trio? Yes. Okay. And so uh, when you cut that first record, uh, it was, I think, uh, it was primarily a jazzed influence thing then. Right. Correct. But this whole new thing is extreme. There's, there's obviously jazz elements. Right. 
because of where you guys come from, but how, what would be the moniker or genre you might put on this new band or record? Uh, I'm still struggling to find that. It's something around future soul or trip hop, somewhere in that margin, but I feel like there's also a lot of diversity across the record where some genres, or some of it sounds more acoustic, some sounds more electronic or experimental, um, and yeah, we're, we're sort of having an identity crisis with figuring out how to describe this record. Well, yeah, I wouldn't, yeah, maybe not an identity crisis, but certainly it can be difficult to describe accurately to somebody because they have you know, preconceived notions of what those words exactly. all mean. But when you listen to the record, uh, that's why I said it's not really, I don't feel identity crisis is attached to it in any way. It seems like you've kind of started to find this identity where you've brought these things in that, that uh, people don't necessarily think, well, that would really go together, but the way you put it together works really, really well. Thank you. And so uh, now tell me a little bit about Ryan's work. Is, is he producing as well? Um, yeah, he is a co-producer on the record. And, what and is, how much of an impact is, does he have over the sound that you're making and the arrangements that you're doing? Um, I, I would say that our arrangements and compositions were fully fleshed out um, before we went into the studio because we've been performing them for a long time. Um, but what he's done with mixing and, and bringing in more delay, um, different effects, and and also his insights as far as what textures work, what textures don't. He's really helped um, foster this space on the record. Mm -hmm. And um, he's starting to feel like one of the band members. Yeah. So. Well, I think when you make a record like this, which I, I, a lot of times I don't play a song till we're 20 minutes into the show, we're gonna play a song pretty quick so okay, people cool. understand what it is we're talking about. But a lot of times I think when you make a record like this, this the, the recording component does seem to be a piece of the band. Absolutely. It's a piece of the project. And so uh, I did wonder just to what degree, was it the mixing and effects, or was he also involved in some of the musical stuff? Like, does Ryan play? Uh, he's a drummer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And who's the primary musician from a songwriting point of view? Do you play or just sing? Um, I, I just sing. I, I, mean, I don't I, mean just. That's a horrible right? thing. I mean, I did, I did grow up playing piano, so I do have, um, I, I have played piano for a long time, but mm -hmm. I would never have someone pay me to play piano. But right. um, I'd say... Um, it depends. Each song is kind of different. There, there's maybe three or four songs where our drummer Steven invested a lot of time in Logic and created a bunch of chord progression stuff and, and the entire soundscape and brought it in. And then we developed it further and kind of made different sections. Or a couple songs where Garrison fleshed everything out. Um, and who's Garrison? Garrison's the keyboard player. Okay. And then a decent chunk of them either were loop things that I made and brought in a couple of them were chord progressions I had already fleshed out. Um, and some of them were just very small snippets. And then the band came together and we just kind of developed the idea further. Okay. When you say loops that you brought in, do you mean uh, that you're working in some program or are you doing vocal loops that you're bringing so, in? So um, I have a, a looping station. Right. And I think uh, I think recently I saw that you were posting about Corby and she has, I think, the same looping station. Yeah. And, you know, it was funny. I went to, we did go to see her in... Uh, you see this this uh, petite individual playing solo, and there's 17 chords coming up to the music stand. <laughs> it's like it's an awful lot of chords for a single show, but mastering that looping tool is pretty incredible. Absolutely, and that I think it's been um, a, a major songwriting element that I use because I, I have one at home. I, I have two of them, so I have one at home and one out. But awesome. um, the the versatility of the machine in, in itself has been very helpful just to flesh out ideas, and so a lot of them I can just record at home. And then I can bring the phone recording to the band, and then we can develop that further. So the single that we just came out with, for instance, Autopilot, started out as me being at home, looping the idea, and then the band going from there and developing it. 
Mm-hmm. Well, the first song I'd like to play, and maybe you can tell me a little bit about this tune, is called Cut Out. Oh, yeah, Cut Out. So that one started from Stephen. Okay. Stephen had the initial soundscape idea, um, and the lyrics I put on it uh, were about rejection. Um, I have this longtime girlfriend, and I wanted her to go to my wedding, and, you know, a bridesmaid, blah, 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 and she... She has a habit of not showing up to things. She's oh, no. very flaky, and she didn't show up to anything. Oh, no. And I was, I was devastated, and I felt so confused because, you know, it's like this is the one time I just really wanted to show up to this wedding, just be at this wedding. And, and she's like, oh, my car broke down. I can't make your wedding. I'm like, you know, Uber's here, you know. But <laughs> so I, my body was so uncomfortable with this, with this feeling of confusion oh. and rejection where you just overanalyze everything leading up to it. And the song is me sort of trying to cope with this confusion that's fantastic it's interesting i think everybody has people like that in their lives and uh it's it's unfortunate that on th- at that moment my guess would be and i don't know anybody in the situation my guess would be the car didn't break down it's i'm too lazy to go i'd rather do this today i don't want to get dressed and who yeah. knows what it is who knows but when somebody is means that much to you um, i understand how difficult that could be like, of, of all the times you're going to flake this isn't one right this is the one you're not right yeah i mean this matters to you right do you hear me no it's people are the way they are yeah interesting and so um when was this one written then um the lyrics were written i guess it would have to be last year i think actually this was one of the last songs on the record that i finished the lyrics for between this one and scuba um they took the longest for me to figure out what they were so it's i think late last year okay and has this been played on the air anywhere, broadcast anywhere? So no, it's like a, this is a world premiere. The premiere, completely. Of House of Stairs, cut out from the new album, which is actually entitled House of Stairs. Yes. Are you excited? I'm so excited. We're going to talk more about the release party, too, after this, the, re- the release date, I should say. You'll have to tell me if it's going to be a party or a concert. Absolutely. But, uh, party. So here's Cut Out, House of Stairs on the Auto D Show. Candle you hold. To one side They all adore To show you right Little they know Where your star is fine Hiding the fall That wrinkles your
You're listening to R.O.D. coming at you live. And that was cut out from House of Stairs' new CD called House of Stairs, not yet released, with lead singer Holly Pyle, who is here with me today. Holly, what a great track. Thank you. Nice voice. Thank you so much. And you're doing all the background vocals on yeah, there as well? on Sounds everything. Sounds awesome. Thank you. You know, we talked a little bit about the band uh, before the song, and uh, Garrison, you mentioned, is your keyboard player. There's a lot of production going on in there mm-hmm. between sounds and keyboard performance parts and effects. So when you guys play this out, um, what's happening? Does he got a laptop for sequences that are triggered with code and playing along, or do you break it down? Not at what's all. happening? So he's got um, he's got a Nord, he's got a Moog bass synth, and then he's got a uh, effects pedal. Um, so if anything. Um, the record enabled us to put a lot more layers than we do live, mm-hmm. but we he basically is still managing the bass lines Doing and all that stuff. and the, the keyboard parts and then adding effects to those keyboard parts in real time. And then we've recently had rehearsals where Shay never goes to rehearsals with us. So we're like, hey, show up to this one rehearsal. We're gonna assign you these parts that Garrison play on this record and you just go do that. So he'll do like the weird synth line floating on the top. That's but, cool. That is awesome. And so I guess when Shay sits in with you performance-wise, is, yeah. it, does it, uh, is it typically determined what he's going to play, or is he just going to support? He's very supportive. He's going to find the space to <laughs> yeah, and, do what Yeah, and he does. it's one of those things where a lot of times we're like, oh, we have this new song, and Shay's like, oh, cool, I haven't heard it. And then he'll hear it and be like, okay, I'll solo over that because I just heard this. Right. So he, he blends in really well, and he can just show up, and, and most of the time he, he can just assimilate himself really nicely. And yeah. then every once in a while we say, hey, Come to a rehearsal. Let's catch up on some stuff. But Interesting. Yeah. Uh, if I could just mention the Shea story, because I think I've mentioned it on the show two or three times, because it just really was something to see. Uh, he, he's a single type of character, Shay. And uh, I was at a show, Sugar Thieves show at the Rhythm Room, and Shay wasn't there because he had another gig, but he was coming. So you know how the door in the back comes right to the stage. So I'm, you're, you're watching the show, and everybody has a look in that band that Shay didn't have that day, right? So let's just say that. So he comes in and he walks across the front of the stage while they're performing, carrying a keyboard under his arm and carrying a sax. He walks in and sits some stuff in the corner, walks back out and they're playing. And he walks back in and sits some stuff down and they're playing. He's getting his keyboard set up and before the song's over, you know, he starts to play along with his right hand and playing a sax solo with his left hand with a saxophone at the end of the song. And it's like, this is out of a movie. It's like, who, who does this? Walks in, boom, plop, and then plays two instruments at once. And it's almost like at the end of the song, I wanted him to tear down and walk back out again. But it was incredible. Yeah, it's another day in the life. Yeah, and he can he, he does so many things and, and uh, brings so much to the table when you have him engaged in a project. So that's pretty exciting to have him in there. Yeah, and he thrives in that kind of space. He loves being at the edge of his seat mm-hmm. and completely in the moment mm-hmm. to, to work with that moment. Yeah. So the less prep for him, the better. Yeah. Oh, and it's interesting when you have people like that, uh, you don't want a band that's bad that they have to try to stand on top of. Mm-hmm. And what's nice is this trio is incredible. So it really gives him an opportunity, too, to do what he wants. He's not holding anybody up. Uh, keyboards are great. Drums are great. The vocals are great. Thank you. And the production's great. So I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, as the thing grows, to see Ryan on stage with you guys while he's playing some of the background stuff. He's it's our delay computer. guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I had a buddy who produced uh, Porno for Pyros, and they said, Tom, you have to go on the road with this because you know where all the samples go. So sure enough, he put on a big hat, and he wore this long, drapey outfit, and wow. he sat in the back playing the computer through the shows. Just wow. all the samples were there. You know, that production element becomes, in some records, becomes a bigger, bigger part of it when you take it out live. Absolutely. So tell me again a little bit about the actual release date and what you have planned. It's coming up Sunday, this Sunday. This Sunday. And awesome. we've got the show at Crescent Ballroom. 
And we've got two openers. One is Wolfsey, who is um, an original beat maker, and um, he's a lone, a lone wolf that does his own, pun intended, but yeah, he does his own thing. Lone Wolfie, Wolfsey. Lone Wolfsey. Yeah. And then uh, there's an upcoming neo-soul group called Hyperbella. Um, so just to rewind a little bit, um, the band House of Stairs started because we were obsessed with a band called Hyde is Coyote. And sure enough, this opening band is heavily inspired by Hiatus Coyote as well. And so they, we've adopted them very quickly into our Hiatus loving family, mm-hmm. Neo Soul tribe. Um, so I, I highly respect what they're doing and I love the sounds they're making. So we're having them um, open up for us and then we'll be after that. And we have string players coming in, a couple backup singers for a couple things I can't loop. And we're trying to get an, a very elaborate visual setup as well. Cool. So that's a big deal. Yeah, it's it's, it's a show for sure. And so tickets are available. I would imagine online at the Crescent Ballroom right yeah, now. Yeah, Crescent Ballroom website for Ticketfly. Um, we're also having people reach out privately to pay Venmo for tickets okay. as well. So Sunday, September sixteenth. And do you know what right now? What time doors are? Doors are at seven. The show starts at seven thirty. Okay, awesome. I'm pretty excited. You'll have CDs for sale there? Or? Yes, the tangible CDs will be printed by Friday. So, <laughs> Will be printed by Friday. Fantastic. So they're not yet. They're, in, they're printing right now. Fantastic. And then maybe, you know, an extra 20 bucks for the autograph on them. You sign them all. Have a we might, party we might feel pretty. Do that know, for free. For, yeah, we'll throw it in. Well, I'm excited for you, and it's a, it's a great sounding record. So now tell me a little bit about how you came upon Stephen and Garrison. How did this trio kind of start? Um, well, Garrison and Steven have had an established uh, friendship and music camaraderie for years. They they did combo together at Scottsdale Community College. Um, so they, they, did, kn- they did comedy together? Oh, no, uh, combo. Oh, okay. They played jazz together okay. in, in Scottsdale. I was and like, wait a minute, this is a whole other no, story. No, they, they, You know what? I will say they are very funny, and they... And they should have done they, comedy together. They crack up every two minutes, literally. I mean, that's just like their wavelength is like, there's just humor all the time in, in, in our space together. Um, ironically, because the music is pretty serious, but yeah. we were actually very lighthearted people. Mm-hmm. Um, so so they knew each other, and I was playing at Lost Leaf with a, a random jazz group, and Garrison was at that show. And he comes up, he says, hey, I, I play keys, and it'd be cool to jam sometime. And you hear that, and it's always just like, okay, sure. Sure, you play, you know. And so I was, I was skeptical, because, you know, that's just a thing. And then... Uh, a friend of mine and I went to dinner at the VIG, and Steven, the drummer, was the valet working there, and he recognized me. He's like, hey, I've seen you at the Nash. You, you sing. I, like, I really like your voice. My friend and I, we like to jam out to Hyatt Coyote, so you should come jam with us. And that was the, the secret password. <laughs> so I was like, where? I'll be there. And sure enough, when I got to the house, Garrison was the other guy that jams with Steven. And I was like, wow, okay. And we actually started writing music that day. Wow. Um, so um, if anything, one of the songs on the record beat, I think was like our fourth rehearsal. We just were, we spent like 20 minutes just creating and and I used that to detail the chord progression later. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, it just really fit immediately. Cool. We'll listen to that one. <clears throat> you know, so, not right now, but yeah, I mean, we'll get to yeah, it. Yeah, it's a special one. It sounds exciting. And um, so how long had those guys been together? I think they'd known each other already for maybe four or five years before okay. I met them. So, now, and, and I saw you at the Nash the first time I saw you perform as a bleach blonde. I think. Oh uh, yeah, I got <laughs> People like to be like, "By the way, you were blonde once." I'm like, "Yes, I was." I, I give was you blonde. that same girl. <laughs> I know. So, um, and and I was I was blown away. I can't remember why I was there. 
uh, was there someone else on the bill? Because I don't, I hadn't heard of you. You yeah. were a surprise for me at the show. Maybe somebody said you have to go hear this girl. I don't really remember why I went down. Hmm. I mean, I, I've done shows with with Shay's trio before, and mm-hmm. then Dimitri Metheny frequently has a setup at the Nash. And then there's jam sessions every Sunday. I used to go to this all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that might have been. Gosh, I, you know, I really don't remember, but I just remember being thinking, "Holy cow!" Yeah, unless that was that could have been the beginning of House of Stairs. We just sound so different that it was like a different might have band. Been. Yeah, so. you never know. That was a lot of fun. I mean, it's one of those things you you, know, you don't forget that. So it's been fun to uh, see you around town on occasion singing as well. And to hear this record, it's just been awesome. Oh, it's, thank you. It's very, very cool. I appreciate that. And then you can tell it's not a record thrown together. Not at all. <laughs> and, you know, in some ways you kind of wish that because you just want it to be done. And you yeah. think it, it's going to be just fully developed in your head. And then when you get there, there's so many questions that show up that you didn't even know would be questions mm-hmm. that you have to answer. Um, so... And our engineer kept on reassuring, you really should take your time. I promise it's worth it. You really should take your time. And all of us were just like, but now. So yeah. it's it's good that he was there to, to mediate our impatience. That's true. It's a good way to put it. And I've always tried to explain to people, look, if you take the time to get it right so that you're happy, so yeah. that it inspires you when you hear it back, you'll never remember how much work it was or how much trouble it was or how much money it was because it serves you. It's like it's what you meant. But we need to cut these corners because you don't, have the time or the money and you just want to kind of get it there then every time you play it every time you hear it all you hear are all the things you didn't do and all the corners you cut and then you don't pass it up to people with the kind of confidence that you do when you know it's wonderful yeah. instead you pass it out going ah, it could be better and we didn't have time and you know we were going to do this but all the disclaimers show up yeah and it's like if you have to do that don't do anything yeah. <laughs> you know make it right and then then you can feel it then it serves you well it's like Absolutely. You, can, you can move on from it and that's what this record sounds like to me it sounds like it was a real serious attempt to express and it's put together very thoughtfully and, Thank you. and as well as the production it's really really great congratulations ryan nice work yeah you know <laughs> i will have to mention also steven uh co-produced as well and he's cool. he's been on deck um immensely with with collaborating with ryan as well so i also want to give steven props awesome. for for his ear yeah for everybody involved because it's a nice it's a nice project so now let's go all the way back because you happen to be a native arizonan yeah which there's not a lot of as fast as this town grows so tell me a little bit about that where were you born um i first place i lived was around like 50th avenue and thunderbird so i that kind of area lived on like the far west side peoria for a while went to high school at cortez near metro center area Mm -hmm. yeah which is where my parents went to high school. Awesome. Um, Alice Cooper went That's to high school cool. there. That's kind of cool. You went to school where your parents went to school. Yeah. That's um, neat. I had the same history teacher that my parents had. Holy cow. My parents met in that history class. So it was wow. kind of a weird warp. Um, but yeah, and then uh, my great uncle was governor here in the 50s. So there's a lot of family ties to Arizona. Um, it's deeply entrenched. Mm-hmm. Pile status in Arizona. So how did you start singing or when did singing come into your life? Um, around when I was talking. Uh, well, I, I started talking late because I had dyslexia and I had to go to special ed to learn how to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as that happened, I just started singing. And um, I remember being four years old and trying to like make up songs and write songs and my brother making fun of me. So like, um, and then I taught myself how to play piano around five and found out that I could play by ear and, um, and went into choir around like 10 and then started training at 15 and then went to college for music um, and graduated. Um, so it's, it's, I don't think it's ever stopped, even if I try to make it stop. Okay. Anybody else in the family singing or playing? No. Are you an only child? 
No, I have a brother. Um, the only art in my family is my, my mom and my, my late uncle both are, are artists and they paint. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's as much art as I've seen in my family. Mm-hmm. But When did you first get into band and start playing outside of the house in, in an ensemble? Oh, well, besides choirs. Um, I mean, college, initially I was there for opera and we did opera production stuff. So I was like in the chorus. Um, and then I started did you, to, did you enjoy that? Yeah, no, opera's, opera has so many perks to it, like the, the theatrics behind it and the, the and character the development. Of, yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, my voice never was very compatible with the genre. Um, I've always been very OCD about pitch, and by nature, having the vibrancy has to distort the pitch a little bit, and it just I never could allow myself to do it. So my opera teacher, when I started doing <laughs> jazz, she's like, you know, there's, you're not going to be able to develop your opera singing if you're doing jazz like this you need to choose. So I quit opera to do jazz and there was jazz ensembles. And then I found out there was a jam session in Flagstaff because I went to NAU. I was just going to ask you if you yeah. were to. So what, what years were you at NAU? Uh, 2005 through 2010. Okay. Um, so there was a jam session and I went over and I would, I brought a chart and then I brought five charts and then I would sit for half the thing. And then I demanded to be paid equally. Um, and, and then I started having a band, a jazz band that was mm-hmm. just standards. Um, and then, um, I graduated and I just got so defeated by the whole industry that I took a break for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is, uh, this is a long story, <laughs> but, um, we have time. So yeah, so there's like a three year break. Um, I got a job at a juvie center working for, um, for particular um, troubled youth that were going for like more of a rehab than a juvie mm-hmm. treatment. So um, you're basically trying to be like a, a youth development worker and um, you have to teach them how to visualize goals and have dreams and to see something beyond themselves. And I was hiding this entire dream that I've had and I felt like a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. And I sang at work a lot and the kids were like, why are you, why are you working here? You should be singing. So I started going to jam sessions all the time, and I went to every open mic I could find. And that's where the looping started. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that developed more networking, and once House of Stairs started, we finally got enough gigs where I could go full-time. So that was four years ago. Okay. And so you've been full-time musician for the last four years? Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Living your dream. Living the dream, yeah. So let me go back and say, what do you mean when you said that the industry crushed you and you quit? What happened? Uh, I mean, that's a common title a common of a story, but what's your version of what happened? What happened Fair. Well, with, with, with college, you know, that you're, you're fed a program. Right. And, you know, y- your merit is based on how well you regurgitate the program. Um, and also, you know, when you have sort of stereotypes of how to make it in the industry, there's certain personality traits. You have to get into sales and business and marketing. And there's all these skill sets um, that if you're not experienced with it, you just feel like it's not you. Like you're not capable of this. This is not your type. You're introverted. Um, being in this large scale of things um, just is not feasible, and it's not fair that you weren't taught this or something. So, just all of those things considering, I I just decided this wasn't my fit, and that I'm not meant to project myself this way. Um, so eventually, the um, you know, it's like this, like, relationship. Like, you broke up with them. And then you're like, oh, man, I miss them so much. And then one day, you're just like, I just can't take it anymore. I need to, you know, call and go to this session. Right. Um, so it was, it was more or less that way of, of really having to come to terms with not creating an identity out of my fears. And instead, understanding the plasticity of, of those fears and leaning into them and finding something at the end. 
Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So. And so, and part of that process really was just open mics for you. That's kind of was your first step back or to open it up. Yeah, and, it, and it's a weird feeling because you go from performing a lot in college and you, you've, you've done it. Right. And then you take a break and you get back into it and all the stage fright thing comes back and your technique has, you know, taken a nosedive. Right. So all of a sudden you're humbled with, you know, like I had perfect pitch in college and I, I gave pitch for choirs. Like I was the pitch person. And then when I came back, I didn't know that my entire memory of sound shifted a quarter tone. And so my intonation was terrible for a year and a half and I didn't even know. And no one told me. <laughs> but I thought, I have good pitch and why is the bass flat? You know. And so <laughs> I had to find out through I, singing. I did a session with Clark Grisby once and he's like, yeah, you, you sound sharp. I was like, what? That's impossible. That was the moment that I knew that I, my pitch was bad. Because Clark is telling Clark me. Clark told me. And I had to like go and sit with drones and like completely like reassess my whole existence. And, um, <laughs> you know, humbling, very humbling. So Well, it's humbling in the sense that you held yourself at a place. That's why it was humbling, you know. Um, you expected a certain level of uh, what you decided you had in terms of near perfection in that issue. And and so, uh, yeah, it's just like, oh, I don't have that. Then it's not only humbling, it's kind of like, well, how? Why? I know. Because it was. It's not fair. <laughs> yeah, it's not fair. That's interesting. Well, you know, uh, I look forward to the show because I know you're a great singer. I know your pitch is great. And hearing it on the record, all the things you're doing, it's going to be fun Thank to you. hear uh, how you work it out with everybody on stage. Um, let's play another cut. How about Inkwell? Oh, okay. Okay, sure. Anything you can tell me about that song in particular? Yeah. Um, I wrote it soon after Trump was elected, and I had already been thinking about how hard it is to really sit with with difficult thoughts when you're really depressed, and, and how important it is to really dig into the depths of your feeling and give space for it to cope. And I felt such a wave of depression when Trump got elected, and so it sort of inspired like creating a picture of, of a deep space. Like it, what I imagine, it's like the bottom of the ocean and there's just a bunch of black ink at the bottom that you just sit in and you wait and you let your body do what it needs to do. Um, so that was the space I was trying to create in, in this song. Okay. And would you consider yourself the sole uh, writer on this one or is this a co-write? Um, I'd say... I'd say I'm a good chunk of the writer on this one and there's definitely elements of it that... like. Um, I arranged the strings in the first half and then Garrison arranged the strings later and they did the outro themselves. So I'd, I'd say I'm, I'm like the bread and butter of it and then the guys are, you know, the extra ingredients that make the breakfast sandwich. Cool. Yeah. All right, so here is Inkwell. This is also off of the debut full-length CD of House of Stairs to be released uh, this Sunday, officially. Yeah, this Sunday. Check it out. Another debut. Pen mark down with ink from my chest pouring out scribbled blight stripped pride send my form enveloped in the shade she 
You're listening to AutoDeep, coming at you live. And that was Inkwell from the new House of Stairs CD to be released this Sunday with Holly Pyle singing, and Holly is my guest. Another great tune. Thank you. Really enjoy that. Of course, you and I were talking a little bit while that was planned, but I have heard it uh, a couple of times and really, really dig it. In fact, I picked some of the shorter songs on the record to play. I, they're, they're all very long. Because some of the songs yeah. are six yeah. and seven minutes long. Right. But they tend to be, uh, well, they ha- there's a purpose. I mean, they have something to say, and they kind of go through moods and changes. One song in particular comes to a full stop for a while. It's like dead for, I don't know, a few seconds, five seconds, ten seconds, and it starts to creep back in. Yeah. Uh, and goes for another minute and a half. You know, that's kind of a clever little Oh, device. the St. Francis one. Yeah. yeah St. Francis. That's that one. was just a discovery of delay being crazy, and they liked it, so they kept it. And there's all sorts of accidents where they would happen, and they said, let's just keep it. That's cool. Happy so, little accidents. Exactly. I want to ask you another question about songwriting. Um, as a lyricist, uh, people draw from, you know, obviously their life experiences, and, and a lot of times from, from their own unique perspective, which can come from education background. We didn't talk about what you studied in school. I imagine you studied music. Right. Um, yeah, I got a, a BA in music and then a BS in psychology. Ah. So basically, with the BA, you have to get a minor. And I think psychology is very interesting, so I chose that. And then a minor and a major are like five classes different, so you might as well just take five extra classes and then you have an extra degree, mm-hmm. even if you don't use it. Right. You know? And so did you do that as well? Um. Oh, did I get both degrees? Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So now psychology, then obviously that's a great perspective for writing. Absolutely. So do you look at your friends different, your relationships different, your measure a little bit? You know, ironically, um, I hate to admit this, but I didn't learn very much from getting a psych degree about people. Because what what a psych degree offers is is sort of like a, um, I don't know, a a palette of, of statistics. Okay. where you, you learn of um, behavior patterns and, and what this part of the brain does and, and, and how these affect development. Um, but you, you don't really understand how people tick and, and, and why they do what they do and, and how to relate to it. And I, I learned way more about psychology. I think I got more of a degree from psychology from working with those kids than I did from my entire studies. Interesting. Um, there's one therapist there in particular um, he was he reminded me of Robin Williams for some reason, but like but so raw and just watching him work and watching the way he thought and, and like he just gave me this whole rule book for for how people are and why. And yeah, I, I, I feel so grateful to have, have learned so much from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the whole that whole program in general teaches a lot about behavior. So that was a degree in itself to get that job. No, did you move to Flagstaff when you went to college? Yes. So you weren't doing a whole lot of back and forth. You stayed up there. Yeah. This was your first away from home? Yeah. Flagstaff was my only time leaving Phoenix. So it wasn't too far away, but you get a little right. bit of a psychology education dealing with living with peers at that age oh, of course. for the first time. I mean, I think I learned a lot more from from high school Did you? just because <laughs> okay. I, I had very few friends and uh-huh. um, I, I, I struggled a lot in high school. So it was very socially humbling. What do you mean you struggled a lot? Were you, would you have considered yourself an introvert in school? Um, I, I was really involved in things, and I, I was an OCD, like, high-grade student. But um, socially, um, I had very few friends, and I had an online journal that half the school read. 
And okay. I right, cool. I really wanted to be very transparent and I would write about all my feelings. And then I'd go to school and I'd have this one guy in Intel, like he would be like, oh, here's what they said about you today. Or here's what they said about you this day. And they said this, you know, and and um, and I, I heard everything and I was so devastated. And I just, I was in, I hated high school. Um, there's even one day where nine people got together and and bought a bunch of things and vandalized my house. And it, you know, it just like that was in just a nutshell of, of high school. And you really learn about, um, you know, what kind of vulnerability is appropriate in a public setting, um, how to engage um, socially, and um, what doesn't work. Um, mm-hmm. So by college, I, I felt like I'd already figured out how to chill and, <laughs> and not be so emotional or so taking things so personally. That's so, interesting. Yeah. Um, did you, when did you stop writing the online blog? Um, towards the end of my senior year. So you wrote it all the way through school? Yeah, yeah. And it's one of the things that where it got more public my senior year and then it exploded. And then once I just, and I mean, it, it was obvious that this was the correlation between the ridicule and, um, you know, that there's this online journal. So when I quit writing, all the ammo was gone and people walked away from it. And right. I no longer was getting all of this um, inundation of, of... But you you probably knew that was going to happen, but you yeah. kept writing. I mean, you knew that if you quit writing, it would go away, but yeah. you didn't all the way through school. Yeah, I felt like I had to express something. And awesome. Otherwise, yeah. So it, I guess maybe I, that's part of why the music is, has maintained that track. So I've always wanted to be able to have an, a full expression of a feeling and not feel stifled and be really transparent. And, and this is more of, of a way to to create it thoughtfully and, and not in a way that's uncomfortable for your peers mm-hmm. to, to hear. Um, yeah, I guess I, I've never thought of it that way, but I, I guess that's the dots that's that connected for it. And then now we mentioned the kids you worked with. How long were you working with the kids? Um, a couple of years, a couple of years. Okay, and you don't have any kids, right? No, no kids. But you are married. I am married, yeah. And so let's let's talk a little bit about that relationship because you're actually married to, you know, Shay Marshall, who we mentioned, yeah. he's your husband, but he's also a, a creative partner, yeah. which can be you know, a blessing and a curse sometimes, depending on, on the relationship and how long that, that they both last. It's You can be together as a as a, a partner in life and, and, and then creatively in music, and those can be independent for periods of times as well. So it can be kind of an interesting path. But how did you, how did you come into uh, getting to know Shay? Because you had the trio. Right. So seven years ago, I started going to open mics. Uh, I like went went to a open mic and I saw Shay, and he had two saxophones with him. Right, probably um, playing them at the same time. Yeah, probably, probably. Yeah. yeah. And um, you know, at the time I was swamped working two jobs. I was working Cartel Coffee and Guitar Center at the same time, and he was doing gigs. And I was like, you know, I just don't have time to get to know you better. So two years go by, and I saw him at a jam session again, and um, he um, decided he wanted to hire me for a gig so that he had the excuse to to see me again mm-hmm. um so we had some rehearsals we had a gig um and i i started stalking his schedule and mm-hmm. i i was like okay he's playing at this place and this place i'm gonna go to all of his gigs and i wanted i just wanted to be in his band so bad i was like i want to sit in with your band and then one day he brings me a bag of dates he says how about a date and so we had our first date and uh yeah and we've we've been together ever since and it has been very interesting navigating a career um side by side with someone that's in your industry because we have two very different relationships with music and two very different motives of why we're involved in music and in some ways it's very compatible and in some ways it it creates a lot of conversations about 
really understanding one another and, and what environment musically makes us flourish most. Um, so initially I just saw Shay as like a role model of how to, to do music full time. And I just was trying to take every gig I could take. And, uh, if I need to sing country on this or hip hop or, or jazz or pop or whatever, I'll, I'll do everything. And I got so exhausted, mm-hmm. but that's what Shay loves. And it just, for, I've discovered that I really like harnessing in something very particular and something that's way more emotional. And, um, and he gives me a lot of space to really explore that and without me feeling odd about mm-hmm. it. And so, um, yeah, I think it's worked out really well. Well, I think as an instrumentalist too, it's, it's easier to, to take on any identity with your instrument right. by playing in any style. And it's almost like a, a different kind of expression or a different kind of dance because it requires a different kind of performance. But as a vocalist, when you change styles, uh, it's like, it's very different because you are someone with a particular expression. Right. And so uh, it's, I think it's much more difficult to go sing this and then sing that and then sing that. And, and it's much more of a comfortable space to find your own thing right. and hone that, more so as a vocalist than as an instrumentalist. The other semantic that goes with that as well is, um, you know, if, if you're an instrumentalist and you show up to a gig, you can have a chart and you can just read it. Right. But if you're a singer and you show up to a gig and you have a chart, it's, it's insulting. Because your job is to be the, the mediator of the, the poetry and the expression to the listening audience. Yeah. And you can't have a sheet of paper that blocks that transmission. Mm-hmm. So you have to, you have to really <laughs> study that and, and really internalize the intention and the depth of it. Um, so it, it requires a lot more work on the back end. Where I, so, you know, it's just that that comes to a, a front at some point where you realize, like, okay, I can't. I can't use the the Shea method for this type of industry, mm-hmm. vocally. Yeah, it's a very different role. Yeah. So how fun is it to be fronting this band with this music as opposed to playing covers? I adore this band so much, and, and I find it so rejuvenating and cathartic for so many reasons. And at the foundation of it, I, I adore my bandmates. Um, they have huge hearts, and I am very inspired by them, and I feel safe and enabled by just them being themselves and then they also happen to have like very compatible skill sets and I, th- I think we've worked so well together since we've started and um, I feel very blessed that 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 they in particular have have come into my life um, so and I like that you know we have our day in day out restaurant things and we have some originals that we'll do but we make it a priority to not do any song exactly as it's written and try to always put ourselves inside of, of a song so that we always feel like it's a creative process throughout the entire performance and so that we don't ever get jaded inside of our, our work. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm thrilled. Cool. Yeah. Um, gosh, when you're talking, all these, all these different questions go by. <laughs> I should be writing down my thoughts <laughs> that I wanted to touch on. But uh, every time as you kept expressing, uh, different different thoughts came up. For example, here's one you mentioned: making a song your own and changing it up, and, and you know, not becoming in a sense stagnant in a performance, or wearing a piece out is part of what I heard. If you're yeah. doing it over and over, um, how far do you do you typically take songs when you perform from how you did them on the record? And since the new record isn't out, you don't have that experience yet. Let's talk yeah. about the original EP. When you guys perform those songs, if you still do, yeah. are they like the record, or do you continue to evolve and change them for the live Some show? It depends on the song. Like some of them are arranged thoroughly enough where they don't have too much room 
to to deviate. And I think the ones that we play the most to this day are the ones that have that kind of room where if you have enough simple building structures to make the song, you can change them more. But the more ornate and complicated it gets, it kind of has to be what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the songs on our EP is called Zoloft, which um, is, is an accurate title. Um, but it's very different now and the way that the the feel is approached and the way that that we express it um has intensified a great deal since we recorded it Mm -hmm. um and even some of the songs from the album we've changed since we recorded them and um we've added different changes in certain parts or we play different tempos or um or it's just projected differently or more intensely so they change pretty quick are there new songs that didn't make the record either that weren't done or weren't weren't as good or um there's a couple songs that have just been hanging out for the past four years and they just didn't really fit the theme of the record where the this record is particularly very psychological and it's very um, emotionally driven. And I have a couple of outlier old songs about f- former relationships and it just didn't make sense to bring those together. And then we came up with some songs that were just too recent to be um, recorded, um, but they'll be on the next record. And they're it's getting more and more... Um, experimental and and less lyric dense as we are progressing mm-hmm. i've been just i feel like there's been this bell curve where i get more complicated with lyrics and now i'm trying to simplify as i write more because mm-hmm. um, it's very dense well and musically it's like um sometimes i feel like we've got somebody playing who has got such a, a background of education in classical music and and time changes and chord changes and key changes and other times there's this really cool hip-hop groove that can, just starts to come in and you're like are you going to do something dancier? I mean, I, I'm almost like I'm waiting for a remix of a couple of these melodies that's more that way. Yeah. And do you, th- or, or maybe the question is, is the next record down the same road or is it veer another direction a little bit? I, we've, we've brainstormed quite a bit, um, several different directions. And I think something that, that is really appetizing for us is, is actually creating a series of smaller EPs that are more... Um, mood themed where mm-hmm. one of them it might be more meditative right. and I know our drummer is all about groove and he really wants to be able to do something that's dancey and more up so be able to do an EP that's actually tailored to something that's more a beat and that way it's not like this really strange hodgepodge of very polarized sound but rather you can really have like a package of like kind of like when you're curating like an art gallery you're like cool I'm, I'm doing this series on, on landscapes and now I'm doing a series on these kind of weird portraits or and that kind of same application for our music. You know, it would be interesting to take a Cirque du Soleil love approach to the, to your music and go, I'm going to take all the groovy parts and do a mashup of those and make, make the groove record or themed record right. essentially a remix of sections of other songs and, and reassemble it in a sense. It I might would be love kind to hear fun. that. Yeah. yeah. And then you could do this mood. Across, there's so much on the album in terms yeah. of mood. Yeah. You, could, you could break that into four records and do remixes of it all. I hope people remix it. it all. That'd be fun. Yeah, I'd be thrilled. It'd be a lot of fun. Well, let's play one more song. Um, and we mentioned it earlier, and the tune is called Beat. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about this track. So uh, this is a lullaby that I wrote about my dad. And my dad and I are very close, and we have Glad to hear that. quite a lot of peaks and valleys of our history. Um, and something I've seen consistently is uh, he's always really struggled to feel loved, and, and both from others and, and towards himself. And he has been a nonstop workaholic his whole life and watching him I can see what drives him to work so hard and 
and he has such a discomfort with his sense of self and and this sort of strange um, conflict with love that he works hard enough to distract himself to be tired enough so that he doesn't have to think about all these things while he's trying to sleep at night mm. he has terrible insomnia so the other thing is my, my dad hates slow music he loves happy upbeat music that's that's what he likes and it's it has taken until this year for him to say i like your music <laughs> and so i'm like 31 that, now i'm like that cool. had to feel good oh my gosh i'm just like dad can you just like something i do and he's like well why don't you do like stevie nicks or why don't you why are you singing opera or jazz like these are depressing and boring you know you should be doing this rock stuff and so you know we, we have we've had a lot of conversations sure. um so i wrote him a very slow lullaby because um, I, I wanted him to be able to to understand that he's loved and to be able to feel peace without all the chatter that he creates for for a very difficult life. Luckily, though, since I wrote the song, he did fall in love with someone and get married, and they just had their year anniversary, which I never thought that would happen in his lifetime. And I'm, awesome. I'm thrilled that he has found some kind of happiness in his life and has found love that he accepts and gives. So it, it ended well, even if the song was during a time where I wasn't very optimistic. Fantastic. And that is this song? Or that it's was Beat. A, okay, fantastic. Yeah. Well, then let's hear Beat. Again, a, a new release from uh, the upcoming record to be released on Sunday called House of Stairs from the group House of Stairs with lead singer, my guest, Holly Pyle, here on the Auto D Show. Thank you. 
listening to Auto D coming at you live. And that was Beat from House of Stairs with Holly Pyle on lead vocals. What a great, great track. Thank you. My gosh, the hour just flew by. I know, it's gone. It's over. I mean, it's more than an hour. So one more time, real quick. Where's the show on Sunday? Sunday, September 16th at Crescent Ballroom. Doors open at 7. Show starts at 7.30. Tickets are $12 pre-sale, 15 at the door. Cool. And if people want to check in with you, what's the easiest way to find you? couple websites. There's hollypile.com. There's also houseofstairsmusic.com. And also access on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Bandcamp, SoundCloud everything well holly thanks so much for coming in and thanks for sharing so much of your insight in making music and kind of uh, your life that's inspired what you're doing thank you for having me oh my pleasure so i'll see you on sunday yes that's gonna be thank fun you. take care okay.